Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And in today's episode, I'd like to share with you Grace's very touching story. Now, Grace was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and after years on meds, she discovered that a whole foods diet, which automatically excludes sugar, made an amazing difference in her health. We'll get to our chat in just a minute. But first, I just wanted to say that if this is your first time here, then welcome and thank you for listening to this podcast. And whether you're new or a regular and you haven't yet rated or reviewed this podcast, could I ask you to scroll down and tap on the stars to rate this podcast and also to write a short review to let me know how this podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. I love reading your reviews. And when you rate and review this podcast, not only does it encourage me to continue making new episodes, but it also helps to share this podcast and have more people see it so that we can help more people feel better and lose weight with less sugar. So again, thank you for rating and reviewing this podcast and for spreading the word about sugar. All right, let's get to my chat with Grace. Yes, yeah, so I was diagnosed with MS in 19, it sounds like a million years ago, in 1993. Mm. Um, and so that made me think about health, but I really didn't want to. Um, and so for a long time, I was trying to bulldoze through and not... Uh, I was trying to finish a doctorate and so we finished my doctorate and the only way I was able to do that um, I think is thinking about it now it's more in spite of the medicines I was taking than because of the medicines I was taking uh, but I started out with um, being diagnosed and being rushed off to the neurologist uh, you know top MS neurologist in, in the in the states uh, I was in San Francisco and there's a great center there and so they gave me all of these drug modifying, uh, disease modifying drugs, um, which are supposed to protect you from having attacks and things like that. Because the thing about new about MS is that uh, it tends to be episodic, and so they uh, they try to make medicines that will stop you having attacks. But uh, in my experience, it doesn't really work that way. Um, and the only real resource they have is to give you a whole lot of steroids when you do have a, have an attack. Um, and so I went along, like, bouncing in and out of the hospital every three or four months um, because I would keep having these attacks and uh, to keep me from losing all function. They would just give me megadoses of steroids. Um, and that, that went along for, like, 11 years. Um, and luckily, 
uh, after 11 years, I ended up being pregnant. And the first thing the doctor said was that you have to stop taking those those medicines because they're too toxic. Um, I was like, oh, okay. Um, but they, of course, they didn't have anything else they could do for me. So they kind of shooed me away and uh, left me on my own, which was actually a great thing because it allowed me to meet a, a really wonderful midwife who turned out to be a very important mentor for me and is still a very good family friend. Um, she's the first person who ever talked to me about physiology because uh, my my folks are uh, nuclear physicists um, and they were very pro-medicine and pro-research like research and because they're research scientists. Um, and they never really thought about, well, what does it mean to be in a research product, a project? Um, you get to be the guinea pig, uh, which is a very honorable thing to do, but it means they have no idea what they're doing. And it they don't really care if it goes well for you or badly for you because they just assume that a certain percentage of people are gonna have bad, bad reactions and a certain number of people are gonna have some help from the from medicine and the whether it's plus or minus for them doesn't really matter. They just put you on a, a graph, um, mm -hmm. and it doesn't for them it doesn't matter what your individual experience is. Of course, for me, <laughs> it makes a big difference what what my individual experience is, and mine was very bad, um, very bad. And uh, so after eleven years, they they kept uh, saying, "Oh well, this drug isn't working. Let's." Double the dose. Oh, it's still not working. Let's give you another drug, and let's see what's you know. So I was taking three, uh, three different things, and um, double dose of one, and the single dose of another one, and, and uh, a bunch of other stuff. Um, and it was clearly messing up my whole immune system because I was starting to get um, really bad allergies. And really bad what? Sorry, allergies. Mm -hmm. um, I, was, I was becoming allergic to practically everything, even like apples and pears, which usually people don't have trouble with. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I was getting strange uh, purple spots in my legs, and they so they would send me to the dermatology clinic, and the dermatologist would say, "Oh, you've got purpura palpabilis," which just means raised purple bumps. And I said, "Well, thank you. I could uh, I could probably tell you that anyway." In, in Italian or in English, you, you told me to Latin this, thank you. you know, but it's not very useful. Um, so, and they didn't know what to do. So they, I would get these raised purple bumps and they'd give me another drug, uh, which I turned out to be violently allergic to. And it gave me like really horrible, it's like instant vomit, vomiting and uh, dizziness and fainting, whatever, it was awful. Um, and so, they, I mean, they took me, they took me off of that, but it hadn't resolved the purple bumps. It had given me another really toxic reaction, um, and they were admitting that they really didn't know what to do with me. Um, so they were saying, well, maybe this isn't multiple sclerosis. Maybe it's like they they gave me a title, less like syndrome, which is like lupus like syndrome. Mm, that's still an autoimmune thing. Yeah, it's it's another one of those ba basket things that they. You've got a system that's going completely haywire. They don't know what to do with you. Um, and so they stick another label on you. Um, yeah. But it doesn't mean that they know what to do. Uh, it means they're kind of scared because they know they're really harming you. Um, and they say, well, we could give her chemotherapy drugs, but that's not sustainable. And it's like, well, this is not sustainable anyway. Um, and it was getting very... Uh, 
the, the doctors really didn't know what to do with me. Um, and so it was a very lucky thing when I got pregnant. Um, and they sort of took their hands off and said, well, we can't, we can't deal with uh, this because we don't know what to do in, in, in this kind of situation. They took you off of all meds? Yes. Was this in the States or in Italy? Well, uh, it started out, I was in the States, and then I went to, I came to Italy, um, and they continued the same medications, because the center here was studying the same uh, constellation of drugs that they were studying in San Francisco, and they were saying, oh, great, we can continue the same study. Um, and I thought that was a good thing. Um, then I went to Toronto, where they were also doing the same thing. Um, oh. Yeah, so it, it, they had the same, it, it was 1990s, uh, and so that was the cutting-edge therapy at the time, and that all the most forward-looking uh, centers were all doing this stuff um, and trying to put together a database. And so I think I, <laughs> um, I'm a data point that isn't very useful for them. Um, so. <laughs> And at any point, did anyone ask you, you know, what you were eating or about your lifestyle? Oh, that's the thing, is that none of the medical people would say anything about diet or lifestyle or anything that you can't measure. I mean, I used to tease my parents about not believing in anything that you can measure with an oscilloscope. Um, hmm. But they don't. I mean, it's because of the way things are set up. You, if they can't make an experiment that's repeatable with a double blind, whatever, um, they don't have an experiment, and so they don't have any data about that, which mm. means that for them, it's not an interesting question. Yeah. Um, so there are no precedents. Okay, so no precedents because nobody ever thought about how to, I mean, obviously you can't, you can't study di uh, diet uh, with a double blind, because you know what you had for dinner, right? I mean, yeah. you know whether you had, uh, you know, <laughs> junk food or real food. Um, and so nobody had, uh, I asked, well, are there any, do you think if if I eat in a certain way, would it be helpful? And no doctor would ever state anything. No, so they would say, well, you know, I think somebody actually did say, well, they they say you are what you eat, um, but that's in a totally unscientific uh, way, right? Um, yeah. Kind of with a smile. And yeah, so nobody would ever say anything. And so it was thanks to this midwife um, that I started to think about, well, okay, well, it makes sense. You are what you eat. It doesn't sound that nonsensical. Maybe it's not very scientific, but it totally makes sense. And she said, well, have you ever heard about, uh, thought about physiology? And I was like, well, I kind of know what physiology is. What does that, practically, what does that mean? Um, and then I, it totally, it completely changed my world. Because all of a sudden I was, instead of trying to suppress it, an immune system that has gone berserk, I was trying to say, okay, um, so my immune system is doing something strange. Why? Why isn't it doing what it's supposed to do? What caused it to go off haywire like this? Um, and what can I do to get it back on track? And so I started to read, and it was a very good thing uh, that I, <laughs> because when I got pregnant, one of my dear friends sent me a stack of books, like 25 books, um, about all kinds of things, about uh, natural childbirth and about um, child raising in different cultures and birth in different cultures and like sleep in different cultures and mm -hmm. about diet um, and nutrition and things like that and 
the so this really got me uh, got me thinking about all the different a lot of different things. I, I mean, I had been studying Dante and um, you know <laughs> classics and things like that, and never really thought about um, the nuts and bolts of biologically what is going on. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I had some idea about how you know this molecule was supposed to uh, mimic the behavior of the natural molecule that's found in the nerves and whatever that that I understand because um, I had a fair amount of this, like being physicist children <laughs> we got a lot of uh, hard science at home um, yeah. but not not from the point of view of physiology um, or, or nutrition no no because that's another thing that doctors really don't study very much of um, everybody says it's old like a month of, <laughs> of class maybe and it's also the downside of nutrition science in air quotes is it, it can hardly ever be scientific to ask people to you know lock them in a room and make them eat things and not eat other things and over a long period right. of time it's just it's not ethical no that would be torture i think yeah, <laughs> right. yeah I, I don't think that's uh you're right not ethical and, and completely not acceptable um yeah and so i uh when my son was born i mean when i was pregnant i ate more 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 or less what i normally ate um and i was careful about not eating things i was allergic to because i had become allergic to so many different things so it was kind of limited um but not not even more limited than when i when i started uh, when i became pregnant it was after he was born and after he started getting teeth that I really started um, exploring, okay, since the microbiome has a lot to do with how your immune system behaves and how it develops, um, I knew that uh, the order in which my son was introduced to different foods had a lot to do with how his microbiome would be developing. And so our midwife was saying, okay, if he's got no teeth, no food except milk, because he's not supposed to eat anything. He has not have any teeth, it's obvious. Um, and she said, okay, just follow, follow the teeth, um, because as soon as he's got bunny teeth, then you know that he can eat bunny food, right? So that's mm -hmm. fruits, vegetables, um, and yeah, you're gonna chop them up and maybe blend them up or whatever so that he can eat them even though he's got only two teeth. And I was eating exactly the same things as he was eating. And wow. I was observing myself too. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very, very exciting. Um, very boring uh, <laughs> in terms of culinary. Uh, but I mean, it was it was kind of a challenge. How do, how do I make something good with only millet and carrots and maybe olive oil and salt? Um, or what can I put in the to make it interesting? Uh, so now we can add celery. Now we can add you know uh, you know so just one new food at a time. And as as time went on, of course, the number of ingredients I could use became some became always uh, greater, right? Um, so there was always more possibility of making things that were interesting to eat. But uh, that's what I did for the whole time that he was uh, teething. Um, and, and would it be accurate to say that it was your son, in a way, feeding your son, that kind of taught you about how to feed yourself? I want to take a quick break to say that if you're looking for some free resources about how to cut sugar, 
then I have plenty for you. Come check out the Life After Sugar Facebook page and subscribe to the Life After Sugar YouTube channel as well as my Instagram account at mylifeaftersugar. You can also check out my TikTok account at netta underscore lifeaftersugar. And if cravings are getting in the way and causing you to fall off the wagon, then I have five tips for you, especially if you're an intermittent faster, to help you get rid of cravings. You can find those five tips in the description of this episode in the show notes or go to aftersugarclub.com. It was this idea that when we started this, um, I knew that I had a lot of trouble with food and I was kind of paranoid of all kinds of all foods uh, because I didn't know what would what I would react to and how I'd react to it. And usually um, in my experience, when I had a reaction to a food, it also meant that I was going to have a uh, problem with my MS, like flare. And so it was this very, very scary <laughs> um, arena. Um, and so during this whole weaning process, uh, the midwife never said, you should eat like this. Uh, I was the one who said, well, what if I did the same thing as he, as I, as I, uh, if I fed my son the same things that, as I ate, um, or, or vice versa, what if I ate the things that I was feeding him? Um, and she said, well, why not? Try it. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, because then, uh, by the time he was eating everything, he wasn't allergic to anything. I wasn't allergic to anything, even the things I had been allergic to before. I was like, wow. wow. Okay. So that means that allergies are not genetic. They aren't things that you're just born with. It means that you can have a lot, you have a lot of control over what, how your body reacts to stuff. How can you be allergic one bit of your life, but then not anymore? How is that possible? My experience was that I had become very allergic to a lot of different things. And once I basically rebuilt my digestive system, my my whole microbiome, I realized that's what I was doing. Um, all of a sudden, I wasn't allergic to what I had been allergic to before. And I also noticed before that, um, when I was growing up, yeah, I had some allergies. I was allergic to, to mosquitoes. And then I realized I was allergic to fish, but not a lot of things. And so I didn't identify myself as being an allergic person. Um, or somebody whose life revolved around allergies. With all the drugs, um, that pulled out a whole lot of different allergies, which I was very, very happy to see disappear uh, after I did this experiment with my son. And so, yeah, so I think that allergies aren't, uh, they aren't genetic. They're just a symptom of intoxication. intoxication. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? And it sounds like you were eating and feeding your son a whole foods diet, basically. Yes. Yes, very. Um, so everything was organic. Everything was whole foods. Um, very simple cooking methods. I mean, I don't think I gave him anything fried until he was like three. Um, mm. And no gluten, no sugar. No added, I mean, no added sugar. He, he had fruit and things like that, but not uh, added sugar or added uh, anything 
not even a whole lot of salt, some salt, not a lot, um, mm. and olive oil, because since we live in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so very simple, but uh, I used herbs and I used, um, you know, herbs and spices to make things tasty. He, I didn't avoid um, soy, except I knew that, I mean, I wouldn't have given him soy in the States because I know it's all trans, there's a lot of it is transgenic. Um, but here there's a certain amount of protection that is they're not allowed to sell GMO. Um, okay. And so one of his favorite foods we discovered when, when we started eating legumes um, <laughs> was is like uh, silken tofu. Oh, you yeah. Know, uh, yeah. So he just loves that. He still loves it. Um, everything had its own flavor, right? Um, yeah. So we have like, okay, so they're carrots. They've been boiled. They're mashed with a fork and maybe there's some a pinch of salt on them. Um, yeah, and they actually taste like that. carrots. And exactly, know, why would they taste of anything else? Why would we want them to taste of anything else? Yeah, and why should I blend it up with something else so that you can't taste it? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, which is, this what, idea which that, is what the food industry does for us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's also, I mean, people will say, "Oh, he's so good. He eats all his vegetables." I'm like, well, because he likes vegetables. Because I didn't try to fool him into thinking they were something else I and mean, why should I what's so bad about a vegetable I mean if you don't have a belief system that vegetables are yucky uh, they're not yucky they're good um, absolutely yeah it's this it's this double end it's sort of a double-edged message that we get eat your vegetables but if you want to have fun or you know be like have some kind of a, a, a treat then it's got to be without vegetable. It's got to be sugary, sweet, you know? It's like, yeah, this double message. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, it's, it's designed by people who uh, have serious trauma about vegetables because their parents didn't like vegetables, right? And so they don't know how to cook them in a way that's tasty. They don't know how to cook them in the way that their the nutritional properties are conserved. Um, and they don't have any, like, they're not delighted by the flavor of a carrot. I mean, <laughs> or a vegetable that really tastes like that thing. Um, and it was lucky that we live in Italy and there's a certain amount of, um, I mean, Italian cuisine is, is very simple. Uh, it's not, there's not a lot of heavy sauces and there's not a lot of disguising the ingredients. I mean, the Italian food is good because it's based on good ingredients put mm -hmm. together in a very simple way, um, which is a very, logical way to prepare things. Um, each region highlights a different aspect of each uh, ingredient. And uh, it's it's delightful. That's part of what's so much fun about living in Italy is that everything is locally. I mean, we look okay. for locally grown, uh, you know, not organic and not uh, too much sprays, uh, as natural produce as possible, raised by that farmer and this other lady. And so we would go and get, um, you know, she's got good melons and they're in season. And so really, really following the seasons and following, um, buying things only from people who grew them locally that you know that they grew them in that place and they didn't buy them from some big distributor. Um, yeah. Yeah. That is fantastic, isn't it? And yeah. when you changed your diet, when you had your son, how did that affect your multiple sclerosis, your MS? Okay. Well, if I had been having attacks three or five times, like every three months, I would have an attack. And 
once I started doing this, I had no attacks ever. Like nothing ever happened again for it's now been almost 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, not even like, yeah, okay. There, there was sometimes I was like, well, I don't know. I feel kind of iffy because I got, if I got tired. Um, but I never had, I never had to go to the hospital. I never had to take steroids. I never had, I never started uh, taking those drugs again. Um, nothing. And uh, I mean, th there were, I had understood some uh, techniques for stopping an attack um, or stopping any infection, uh, just naturally. I mean, the, the, historically, um, doctors would give you a purge if you had a fever, right? Okay. And so that's emptying, emptying the intestine. We know that, uh, I don't know, of our 30 trillion cells, uh, there are at least 10 times as many cells in the gut. Um, yeah. that are symbiotic and if they're not behaving well the fastest thing you can do is get rid of them and then um, stop the whatever's going on with, with your symptoms and I mean maybe you take some uh, what do you call them? probiotics probiotics yeah. okay right. so you would like purge the gut and then take probiotics and I always talk about Afterwards. probiotic foods rather than probiotic capsules and then like repopulate the gut? Yeah, yeah. There are ways that people like lead up to this kind of cleansing and uh, traditionally that after that you're supposed to eat only very cook into a mush kind of dal, uh, so like lentils and maybe rice or whatever. And yeah, I would be careful about what I ate after, what, after that, that, not a whole lot because it's your system is kind of reeling. Um, but uh, yeah, slowly I would I would start eating maybe drink some juice or uh, have some some plain rice or like plain uh, vegetables or whatever. And after that, it, you know, the next day you're feeling great. And so the objective of this whole exercise is to sort of reset your gut, as it were. Yeah, yeah, and I think I didn't realize I was doing that at the time. Um, but looking back, I realized that must have been, must have been what I was doing. And okay. looking back at the way I was raised, I mean, I know that I wasn't nursed for more than like a month. Um, and then I was always bottle fed. And my parents had no criteria about what they gave me. I mean, my mother had, since she was this, <laughs> she's a nuclear physicist, she's not a nutritionist. And so her idea was that it's a, it's a mechanical problem that you can't eat uh, food because you don't have any teeth, so we'll just blend it up. Um, so she would blend meat and vegetables and rice and everything all together. Um, I don't remember having a, a hard time being fed, but I, I do remember being uh, being fed more than or more quickly than I wanted to be fed. And I don't remember what they were feeding me, uh, but looking at the way other kids reacted to the way their parents were. Uh, feeding them in Italy, I realized that, gosh, I, I can't imagine, or I can't imagine, unfortunately, being force-fed this everything mixed up together. Mush. Half. And when you were growing up, this was in the States, right? Because you moved to Italy later in your life? Right. I came when I was, oh gosh, um, I came when I was 24. So I had been diagnosed already, and then I, because I, I was diagnosed just before 
um, coming to the, I had already applied to the program in Italy and I got accepted. And then I refused to let this diagnosis get in the way of my studies. And so I, I said, I'm going to do it anyway. And so I took all that medica medication. I had it shipped to me um, from the States. Um, and I would show up to class with like, uh, you know, IV lines stuck in my arm because they would do this for IV steroids for five days in a row, six, six days in a row, depending on how, how bad it was. Um, but I didn't want to let anything get in the way of my studies, which is, thinking about it now, I think it's crazy. Um, and that's probably why I was so sick. But um, yeah, so seriously different priorities at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, we yes, it's um, it's understandable because we do the best with what we know, including your parents. You know? Oh yeah. And so, yeah. I, do I understand that it's been over twenty years that you've been eating a whole foods diet, which automatically excludes added sugars, and um, you feel good. I feel good energy. I mean, I have enough energy that I wanted to uh, do a program like Kendra's program. Um, it gave me, I mean, I did, I did make one terrible mistake, uh, which is in 1997, I had a hepatitis booster shot. And that really threw me for, for a loop. I was in the hospital for 10 days uh, on steroids. And I never really regained the function of my, of my legs properly. Wow. Um, so I, yeah, I, I uh, so I walk around with um, trekking poles. Okay. And but my balance is still really terrible, and I'm still working on that. And it's been a long time. Um, but that's what I'm working on. I haven't had any because the MS has this up and down kind of uh, progression or non-progression, um, and I haven't had that happened since since uh, since before I went before my son came yeah okay well, from what I understand I know very little about multiple sclerosis but Sorry? what I understand it's seen as a degenerative condition isn't it yes yes and they um, try to tell you in the least scary way possible um, but if you talk to the people in support groups, they say, well, you'll probably be in this wheelchair by the time you're 50. Um, and this is my parents, bless them. They were going to support groups and they were terrified because that's what they heard. And they, they were imagining all kinds of horrible things. And of course, they didn't say anything to me, which is great. Um, I'm sorry that they suffered through this so much because they were absolutely terrified. Um, and and also sort of accepting that this was going to be my fate. Um, I refused to read anything or to listen to anything about what anybody what what they had to say about multiple sclerosis because I, I, mean, I know that um, a diagnosis is also a kind of curse, mm. right? Yeah. Energetic, it's like a curse. And so I didn't want to be involved with any of that. Um, so I mean, so basically, for your son and for yourself, instead of um, the meds that you're on, you changed your diet, and that was the end of of that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's not the only thing I did because I was starting to say that when he went to school, I started getting interested in energy medicine because um, okay. I had been uh, meaning to go into academia and becoming a professor and all that, and it 
I mean, I had cut all the ties with academia just because it was not, um, um, I mean, it was not possible. Because I, I, what I wanted to do was teach a high level uh, Italian literature to Italians. And if you're not in the system, they won't let you do that. And so okay. if I stayed uh, in the Toronto, both literature teachers. Yes, I would be like teaching English to uh, Italian students or teaching Italian, basic Italian to English speaking students and like that. Well, I don't want to do that. Um, and so I was kind of at loose ends. And I got this phone call from my sister saying that she had telling me about an experience that she'd had. She said, oh, this is the weirdest experience. You'll love it. I said, well, with an introduction like that, I have to, I have to look into this. <laughs> and so she had had an um, energy treatment. Um, and so that was how I got into energy medicine. Because oh, I called okay. the one practitioner who was in Italy at the time, and uh, he was teaching a course, and I took the course, and I was like, wow, I love this stuff. And that's didn't stop since. <laughs> wow. Stop so, since. Look, so, Grace, if somebody needs to get or wants to get in touch with you to know more about what you do, about energy medicine and, and all the rest of it, how can they get in touch with you? Well, I have a website. Um, which is called renaissancehealth.com, uh, spelled the English way, so renaissance, N-A-S-C-E-N-C, -E health.com. And I also have, a for if they have autoimmune trouble, um, I have this new website that, uh, that's called the msreset.com. I think it's just msreset.com. All right, smashing. So that has my contacts and what I'm doing and what I propose that, they do to do the same thing that I did, but without all the dead ends and false starts. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, thank you, Grace, for sharing your story. That's amazing. Thank you for having me on here. Ah, oh, what an inspiring chat with Grace. And all the more inspiring because it was Grace's son who actually inspired her to change her diet without even realizing it. And scientifically, there aren't many confirmed studies about multiple sclerosis and sugar, but there are plenty of studies to show that high sugar intake can promote inflammation and lead to more aggressive symptoms in diseases such as multiple sclerosis. And also high sugar intake is also linked with a higher risk of other conditions like diabetes and heart disease, and those conditions may exacerbate the symptoms of MS. So bottom line, as Grace was saying, and as I've said all through this podcast, the less refined and added sugars you eat, the better for your health all round. And if you're at the stage of your life now where you finally have time to think of yourself and look after yourself, and if you're at a point where you know you have to start looking under the hood of your relationship with sugar, and figure out what's really going on that's causing those cravings and preventing you from losing the weight you want to lose and feeling as good as you want to feel, I'm preparing something very special for you, my brand new 90-day program, Freedom from Cravings Formula. It will be out in the fall of 2023, and if you're on my mailing list, you'll be getting all the details very soon. And if you're not on my mailing list yet, then look in the show notes along with this episode 
and go download your five tips to start getting rid of cravings. That'll put you on my mailing list and then you'll get all the latest news about how to sign up for the 90-day program Freedom from Cravings Formula. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.